Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Hoyland in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with the Split Zone Duo podcast host and a member of the Moon Crew, Alex Kirshner. Both on his own and as a member of the esteemed Moon Crew, Alex is one of the most insightful and entertaining voices covering college football today. And following a very emotional Ohio State victory over Indiana on Saturday, he helped put that perhaps frustrating W in perspective for me and hopefully for fans as well. We also discussed OSU's chances once they inevitably make the college football playoff, the advantages that they might have over teams like Alabama and Clemson, and also why Jim Harbaugh might not be long for that team up north. All right, with all of that now out of the way, here's my conversation with Alex Kirshner. So, Alex, uh, first off, thank you for being here. I feel like it, I would not be doing my journalistic duty if I did not start this interview with asking the thing that I think most Ohio State fans have at the top of their minds. What would have happened if Ohio State and Maryland had played two Saturdays ago? Well, obviously, as a Maryland alum, I think it's clear Ohio State was scared and <laughs> and didn't want to play the Terps. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I think that's right. Either either that, either that or Ohio State would have won by 40. But we'll never know, and I'm not going to reveal. I'm not going to reveal the truth. It, it could be either one of those two. Yeah, you you have deep ties to the Maryland program, I'm sure, and you know exactly what's going on. But that was actually a game that I was looking forward to. I mean, uh, Maryland has been playing in the three games that it's played this year. Like they've been playing pretty decent football, and I think that would have been a test that a lot of Ohio State fans would have liked to have seen, especially leading into this Indiana game. I think it would have been really informative. But I, I'm sorry that 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 game didn't get to happen this season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been informative for Maryland, too. I think that, you know, it would have been a loss, but but fun to see um, how especially Maryland's passing game would have done against that defense. No doubt. Well, speaking of the Ohio State Indiana game, it was a hard fought victory for Ohio State. I think you called it a legitimately pretty fun game on the whip around episode of Split Zone Duo. It might have been a legitimately pretty fun game for viewers who did not have a vested interest in in Ohio State because based on our mentions, it was a pretty harrowing and frustrating experience for most Ohio State fans. Um, Ohio State did what it has pretty much become its standard operating procedure this season, get up to an impressive early lead, let the opponent come back in. But for you, as a college football expert who is not inside the Ohio State neurotic, bizarre, obnoxious fandom – do you think that Indiana's second half comeback had more to do with some potentially fatal flaws that Ohio State has in its team this season or that the Hoosiers are just legitimately a quality, good football team that's going to be a tough out no matter who they play this season? I don't think that Ohio State has any fatal flaws. Uh, you're going to, you know, even when you have cornerbacks like Sean Wade and Seven Banks and and everyone else, every other four and five star that. Ohio State has back there. Sometimes you're going to run into a team with really good receivers who are going to catch some 50-50 balls. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's any recipe, no matter how good your corners are, to win those at a majority rate every single week because it, it's just such a fickle part of the game. Uh, and there are so many different variables that could lead to 
uh, even a talented group of DBs getting roasted a lot. And I think that's what happened uh, to Ohio State. I mean, uh, Freifogel for Indiana was better than Sean Wade in this game. Um, They're not going to, Ohio State's not going to see that a lot. You know, that's that's not going to happen a ton. Uh, You know, is it going to be an issue in the playoff? Well, maybe, but, you know, maybe Ohio State will play better back there. I, I think that this is the most talented team or maybe the second most talented team in the country Ohio State is. And and so they're going to be in a position uh, to win every single week. And and most of the time, we're not even going to have to stress about it. What I think is, is a little bizarre and maybe throwing some Ohio State fans' perceptions of how the team has been playing so far this year is this weird thing that happened because the Big Ten schedule started so much later than the ACC and the SEC, which are the conferences with Alabama and Clemson and I guess Notre Dame too, that everyone is comparing Ohio State to. We forget that in September, a lot of those top teams, yeah, they won, but they didn't look great doing it. I think Ohio State is still at that point in their season to where they're still figuring things out. They're still trying to get over the obstacles that were put in place because of the bizarre offseason, and they still have some time. They still have a month before they get to the Big Ten championship game to get some things figured out. How much of these weird season schedules not exactly lining up adds to maybe some of the the disconnect between where some of the teams are looking like finished products and some of the teams especially in the Big 10 are looking like they still have a ways to go to get to midseason form. I think that's a big factor. Even at a place like Ohio State where I am sure they are very regimented about the way they prepared for this season and where the program is kind of a death star that uh has great organization and and a very professional environment, you're still dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds trying to be their best during an extremely turbulent time in the world uh, in a sport that is already subject to a lot of oddities just kind of popping up even in relatively normal times. So I, I do think it it's a factor. I think that it's affected Ohio State less than most teams, uh, just because they're so talented that it hasn't mattered much. But hmm. you know, Justin Fields is you know through three picks in this game. Um, is that because they hadn't played in two weeks, or because you know because they're they're still in what would normally be the first third of a season? I don't know, but it's I, I certainly wouldn't rule that out, especially given that a couple of them seem to be the result of you know unusual decision making on his part. Yeah, there were some of those, at least two of them seemed to be just kind of like out of character, boneheaded decisions uh, for Justin Fields, things that we have not seen in his year plus as an Ohio State quarterback. But despite that, he still threw for 300 yards and his normal share of touchdown passes ran for a couple as well. When you look at Justin Fields, especially early in this season, and compare him to some of the other quarterbacks in the country, whether that's Trevor Lawrence now that he's back healthy or Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, where do you see him in terms of matching up against those guys? Are they doing this? Are they playing the same kind of game to where if they if whatever combination of those guys and maybe even Ian Book end up in the postseason, that will any of them be the difference or are they all kind of on at least semi-level footing to where we know that they're going to balance each other out and it's going to come down to a running game or the linebackers or something for a team that is not necessarily just going to be about the quarterback winning a national championship. Well, I think all of those teams are going to get good quarterback play. Sure. Uh, I 
it's hard for me to draw conclusions based on anything that's happened this year, particularly around like Fields and Lawrence, because Lawrence has been has not played in a while uh, after getting COVID. Uh, Fields has only played four games. I do think that an advantage that Ohio State will have conceivably over other teams that it will see in the playoff is that Fields is a little easier to involve in the run game than the other elite quarterbacks in college football this year. I mean, obviously, Ohio State fans know very well from last year's uh, Fiesta Bowl that Trevor can get in the run game too, and and he can certainly take off, and he is valuable for Clemson on the ground. But uh, as far as a game planning advantage, uh, you know, if you look at the quarterbacks who are likely to be in the playoff this year, Mac Jones for Alabama, uh, maybe Kyle Trask, maybe Ian Book, uh, you know, perhaps Trevor Lawrence, and on and on, the one who can do the most for you uh, in the designed QB run game is is definitely Fields. And depending on how Ohio State feels about its matchups, both uh, in the box and on the perimeter, that's something that I, I am sure Ryan Day will will want to tap into and and will tap into uh, when Ohio State gets to the playoff. So if I'm kind of gauging, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just kind of gauging your answers so far, you are you seem to be coming down on the much more there's no reason to freak out and feel like the world is burning and the sky is falling, which I think is kind of how <laughs> a solid percentage of Ohio State fans feel after every game, honestly, but especially after this game. Yeah, I, I think that's how I feel. Um, full disclosure to your audience. I mean, I everyone in the college football media, um, we love it when Ohio State is in chaos because uh, because you guys do this, right? You know, giant fan base. Yeah. Uh, everyone freaks out. Your your clicks, your podcast downloads go up when Ohio State fans are scared about something. Uh, but obviously, at the end of the day, you want Ohio State to be in the playoff because uh, that creates just much more intrigue uh, to have them there at the same time. So I would love to come on this podcast and tell you that uh, – the sky is indeed falling and uh, you know, that Northwestern is going to take the big 10 championship and go to the playoff, but that's not going to happen. Ohio state will win the big 10 or something wild will have happened. Um, I really, I really can't dream up a scenario where they, where they do not win the big 10. Um, so how does it go for them against Alabama or Clemson? I, I don't know. I think it'll be a great game, but I cannot see them not winning the big 10. That feels almost impossible to me. And I'm fine. I'm fine saying that they're just playing a different sport than everybody else in the conference this year. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your journalistic integrity of admitting your, your biases uh, up front. I appreciate that in a, uh, in this age of the media landscape, but you mentioned Northwestern looks like, I mean, it's almost a certainty at this point that they're going to play Ohio state in the big 10 championship game after they beat Wisconsin 17 to seven over the weekend. And whether or not Northwestern is able to put up a fight against Ohio state, I just think anytime Northwestern is good, that's just a great story for college football because Pat Fitzgerald is just one of the more likable, in my opinion, coaches in the Big Ten and maybe even in college football uh, as a whole. What is the ceiling, do you think, for Northwestern? I mean, they don't have a great offense, but they've got a more competent offense than they've had in recent years, and their defense is clicking as well this year as it has uh, in a while. I mean, it's always good, but where do you think that Pat Fitzgerald, assuming that he stays, which there's always these weird rumors of him going to the NFL, and now people are even talking about maybe going to Michigan, which seems insane to me. But how? Oh yeah, how good could Northwestern be if they ever do develop some sort of competent offense moving forward? 
I mean, if they developed a competent offense, they could be very good. Um, but I mean, you have to remember that there's a reason Northwestern plays the way it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that Pat Fitzgerald is pretty aware of how difficult it is to recruit elite skill position athletes to Evanston. It just doesn't really happen. I mean, if you think about it, this is something that Richard Johnson was talking about on Split Zone Duo, our podcast uh, the other week. They really haven't even fallen backwards into an all-world dominant running back, receiver, quarterback over the years. It just hasn't happened um, because that's just not a program that tends to recruit that kind of player. Maybe at some point they get a couple guys like that, but it hasn't happened yet. So without that kind of speed, uh, they're just going to get blown off the field by Ohio State, for instance. I mean, Northwestern might be able to stop Ohio State's run game. I'm not sure that I would bank on Master Teague having a very good game. Um, But Ohio State, at the end of the day, is going to just run circles around them when they have the ball um, because of the same reason that Northwestern's offense is never going to be great. It's just they're not that fast of a program. Yeah, I mean, they're they're almost the military academy equivalent of the Power Five conferences. I mean, they're a a tiny private school in this huge land grant public school behemoth concert or conference, and uh, they've got to do whatever they can to just survive and stay above water and keep treading water. And because they've got a great plane and a great program and a great coach, they find ways to be competitive, which I think is, is good for the sport and good for the conference. Much like I think is, is true with Indiana. I think Tom Allen's done a great job and I think it's only better for the big 10 to have a, a team like Indiana that can do what it's doing this season um, to make things interesting. But I, I do want to transition to one of Ohio state fans, favorite topics. And that is, what the hell is going on with Michigan? I mean, at, at this point, there's really no logical reason, perhaps, I guess, maybe pride um, to keep Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor for another three, four years. Is there I mean, that'll uh, upset a lot of people in Buckeye Nation because they'd like like to see him get a lifetime contract. But there's no legitimate reason to keep him there anymore. Is there? Uh I don't think so at this point. The issue for me uh, is not so much that I don't think it's possible he turns it around, but it's the contract situation. Uh, his right. his deal is up at the end of 2021. He's not going to coach as a lame duck with on an expiring contract. That just doesn't happen, and it really can't for recruiting uh, the way that college football is set up. So you have to either extend them or find a way to end that relationship if you're Michigan. and. I really, I really only see, I see three options. One is a one-year stopgap extension, just to kind of put off a tough decision. Uh, I don't think that's great because it, it doesn't solve anything, and you're still going to get killed in recruiting because Ohio State and everybody else can just go and say, "Well, look, they really don't believe in him. They only gave him a one-year deal, and you know, right. if if you go play for him, he's not going to be there when you finish your career." Uh, you could. I hope he gets an NFL job, which becomes no, it doesn't become more likely as they struggle uh, or you can fire him and pay, you know, a a significant, but not relatively big buyout given uh, how little time is left on his deal. I think door two or door three uh, is probably the move at this point, but, but I think the issue, the biggest issue is actually on defense. And I think it's with Don Brown. Yeah. You know, he wants to play a pressure defense that relies heavily on cornerbacks to cover man to man. And they just don't have the guys to do that this year. Um, I mean, I talked about how Ohio state 
Sean Wade and some of their guys struggle with Indiana's receivers. Um, Michigan's got Michigan's corners got crushed. And, and I think that was more indicative of a long-term problem because they just don't have as much talent back there. Do you think that, I mean, to me, it comes, like you said, it comes down to talent and the advantages that Ryan day has been able to rack up uh, over the past two years since taking over for urban Meyer, to be honest with you, I just assumed that there would be some sort of pullback in recruiting for Ohio state. After you have a guy who's known to be a, a great recruiter and a legend in the sport, like urban Meyer leave to then have Ryan day, who is essentially, you know, an unknown, but he's taken it to another level. Is, is there anybody even close in the Big Ten who can, in the next year or two, continue to compete with Ohio State, given how great their recruiting classes are for the next few seasons? Is Ohio? I guess what I'm saying is Ohio State just distancing itself from the pack, even though there was already a significant gap between them. Are they just making it even bigger than it was when Urban Meyer was was still at the helm? I do think they're making it even bigger. Uh I think this is going to be four in a row for them. And uh, at this point, I I don't see why it shouldn't be five and zero oh, or five in a row come next year. Uh, I think the long-term best bet is, is probably Penn State uh, until yeah. Michigan figures it out. I don't think Penn State is nearly as bad as that 0 and 5. And, and, you know, I mean, they're going to finish one and seven or two and six or something like that, <clears throat> or conceivably 0 and 8. But uh, I think Penn State can get back reasonably quickly. The, the, my bigger concern with Penn State is that their 2021 recruiting is not up to the standard that they need. Uh, so he's going to have to find a way to turn that. Um, but I think Penn State could be decent next year, uh, particularly if they find a transfer quarterback, which I think they have not much choice but to do. They have to, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe Ohio State. I don't know who's going to play play quarterback for Ohio State next year. But it stands to reason that it will be someone who is not quite as good as Justin Fields. You know, maybe yeah. you get lucky and, and you catch you catch Ohio State on a bad day. Um, but it's it's tough for me to see a roadmap for Ohio State to not win this year and next. Spinning that forward, maybe uh, or spinning it maybe backwards a little bit, I guess. Looking at the playoffs this season, there's still a lot to be decided, even though we are in late November when things would normally be wrapping up. I think the common uh, accepted belief is that Alabama will win out. Ohio state will win out. I'm, I'm assuming that Clemson will beat Notre Dame once they have not only Trevor Lawrence, but their defense healthy. And then that opens up potentially a spot where either Notre Dame gets that fourth seed, or it goes to somebody perhaps a little bit more interesting and maybe even a little bit more deserving. When you look at the team's other than a Notre Dame or even Florida, however things break out. But out of the, those those top teams, where do you think teams like Cincinnati and BYU, do you think they have a legitimate shot of sneaking into that fourth seed? Do they need to go out and schedule either each other or somebody else outside of their current schedule to have a shot? And if they do, what are their chances against one of the big boys You know, when they, if they actually do make it to the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I do think they have a chance this year. Uh, I think it's a weird enough year that it could happen. I still wouldn't think it's likely. I, I think it is more likely than not that they get shut out, but it becomes more likely if they schedule either each other or if they independently go out and find one really good game each uh, and then win that game. Obviously, to have any chance at all, uh, one of those teams would have to be undefeated. 
there is sure. no chance both of them make it. So it would have to be just one of them. Uh, I think that the the path there is is I mean it, it requires several things. The biggest thing is you need Alabama to beat Florida uh, in the SEC championship because if Florida wins that game and Alabama is undefeated coming in, then the SEC is, <clears throat> excuse me the SEC is going to take two spots. Right, and and that's that's going to there's going to be no room. Uh, with Ohio State and whoever, and at least one team from the ACC uh, having to be there as well. So, you know, let's assume that Alabama beats Florida. So Florida has two losses. Uh, Texas A&M does not somehow make a case. So you would have just one team from the SEC. If you have Clemson, you know, to your point, uh, if if Clemson beats Notre Dame, that could get tough too, because suddenly you might, you know, you might have two ACC teams there. You remember Notre Dame is, is technically an ACC team this year. Um, you know, if Notre Dame has just one loss and it's to Clemson and they also beat Clemson and Notre Dame by conventional standards probably makes it as well. So then you got two ACCs and an SEC and a big 10. Um, so you really need the ACC and the SEC to cooperate. Uh, you, you need those <laughs> outcomes. I mean, I think that if Bama wins out and beats Florida and Notre Dame beats Clemson again, then I think the door is open, but it is going to be tough uh, yeah. because if everything is chalk, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. If assuming one of them gets in BYU or Clemson, what are their chances? I mean, do they have oh, sorry, a yeah. Sh- yeah. I mean, do they, do you think they have a chance to, to pull an upset and make a national championship game? Uh, I think BYU more so than Cincinnati, no disrespect to Cincinnati, which has an incredible defense, uh, but I don't really care about defense. Defense is not what's going to do it for you <laughs> in the playoff. Like yeah. you're, you're going to need to score with those teams. I mean, you can have an amazing defense and all right, congrats. Like your amazing defense holds Alabama to what? Like 31. Yeah. I mean, you're like, there's, you're, you're not going to, it's not like you're going to keep Alabama to 17 points and, and win a 2017 game, even with a tremendous defense. Uh, BYU can just run, run it up. I mean, they have NFL receivers an NFL quarterback, several NFL linemen, uh, so I think that given that, you know, the best way for a team like that to win is in a shootout, I would favor BYU uh, if, if they're able to get there. I think that's fair. Despite the fact that I think a lot of Ohio State fans have an affinity for Cincinnati, I think, uh, you know, just kind of looking at who these two teams are this season, that makes uh, that makes a ton of sense, even though I'd love to see Ohio State and, and Cincinnati make the finals or the, the semifinals because I, I picked that at the beginning of the season. I, I didn't think it would actually happen, but now that it uh, has a shot, I'm pretty excited about it. But um, kind of moving into the to one or two last questions here, what should Ohio State fans be looking for? They've got a, a couple games here the next couple weeks that, you know, theoretically aren't going to give them much uh, to worry about. But if they tune in to some of these other potential contenders, Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame, even Florida, what should they be looking at to kind of gauge where Ohio State could have some advantages or might need to work on some things to be able to compete with these teams if they decide to watch some of those other teams play in these next few weeks? Well, Ohio State's biggest vulnerability, I think, is is big plays, uh, allowing them on defense. Mm-hmm. So I would be curious, you know, does Clemson develop a little bit more of a dangerous deep passing game? I mean, obviously with Trevor Lawrence, that's always going to be uh, very much in effect, but it hasn't really shown up this year uh, the way that you'd expect it to. None of their receivers has emerged yet as like a really serious downfield kill, uh, killer. You know, I mean, Amari Rogers is a, tr- a tremendous slot receiver. Cornell Powell has done some things. 
Um, but Justin Ross isn't playing and, and T Higgins is gone. So they don't really have the same downfield uh, flair that they have in recent years. I would look for similar things uh, out of like Florida and Alabama, you know, look at, and I mean, those teams have add water, instant offense type type deals going on. Uh, Florida's passing game, very explosive, very efficient, you know, see how you match up there. Um, see how, you know, try to make a plan for assuming he's back healthy. If you play him, how, who on Ohio state is going to cover Kyle Pitts. Uh, that could be an issue. Because, you know, I, I would maybe Baron Browning. I mean, I, I don't think that like Pete Warner and some yeah. of Ohio State's other backers are uh, necessarily athletic enough to to do that. Um, so that's what I'd be looking for because those are, t- you know, most of the teams that you're going to see in the playoff have a lot of athletes. I think the best possible matchup for Ohio State in the playoff would be Notre Dame because Notre yeah. Dame doesn't really live by the downfield passing game, doesn't have a ton of guys who make circus catches on the outside. Um, so if Ohio State winds up in the playoff, I would I would think that what you would really want would be to be playing Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think a lot of Ohio State fans want to avoid another semifinal matchup against Clemson, although I think that's probably a fairly likely matchup in the semifinals if things break the way I think they will. But Ohio State fans always look forward to playing Notre Dame. Um, so I, I, I definitely agree with you both in terms of history and this season as well. But all right, last question. I will wrap uh this up here with everything that you guys have going on with moon crew and split zone duo. Um, it's a, it's a little new, although there's a lot of things that are very familiar with what you guys do. I just kind of wanted to give you the chance to explain what it is that y'all are doing over there. Explain what makes you guys different than other college football outlets and or podcasts, because, uh, I'm a fan. I, I love what you guys do. And, uh, I really hope that other people are finding it and and realizing what great content y'all are putting out. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, I hope that the thing that makes us different than most of what you might find in a very crowded market uh, is that we try to have a very community oriented approach to talking about college football. Uh, We spend a lot of time in a discord server that we've set up uh, that you can join via our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash moon crew. that's, a, you know, basically we like to spend a lot of time talking with people who like our work, who care about college football, who like to watch it the same way we do, uh, and lean on those people to help support what we do. Uh, so we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not driven by uh, clicks or advertising revenue on, on the written side. Uh, you know, we've started a couple of podcasts, so obviously the shutdown full cast has existed for a very long time. Uh, and we've started Split Zone Duo uh, and, you know, gotten into some great partnerships there um, that we think help support what we do um, with places like Home Field Apparel. And uh, for us, we, like we just enjoy kind of taking a whole hog approach to college football because there's a lot of good and a lot of bad. And I, I think that it's more fulfilling to follow the sport when you focus on all of it. Uh, and that's sort of the thing that we point ourselves at uh, and we try to do it while talking with people instead of at them. So we would love to have you. Um, if, if anyone wants to check it out, uh, we have a Substack. The It's at uh, mooncrew.substack.com uh, or Split Zone Duo or the Shutdown Fullcast, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, and again, we have that Discord channel as well. Would love to see you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, at least people who are listening to this, um, know a lot of you from your your days at SB Nation. And now that the world is upside down and y'all are doing your stuff on your own, it is still continues to be one of the smartest and and most fun 
groups of college football people uh, in the world. So I um, am very happy to support y'all and very much looking forward to everything you do in the future. The whip around is my Sunday morning tradition. So uh, I can't start my Sunday without listening whenever it comes up. So uh, I appreciate what you do and and I wish you luck and uh, I appreciate all your insight and hopefully we'll uh, get to chat soon in the future. Appreciate what you guys do as well. Thanks for having me. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the great Alex Kirshner. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner, and you should follow at Split Zone Duo and at Moon Crew LLC as well. We will also have both of the links that Alex mentioned in the show to the Moon Crew Patreon and Substack in the show notes and in the article at LandGrantHolyLand.com as well. If you're finding this episode on our website, LandGrantHolyLand.com, please subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. We are releasing a different episode every single day of the college football season with vastly different focuses and perspectives. There is no feed like ours, for better or for worse, in the Ohio State podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Hoyland on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWW Matt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.